You're listening to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. This podcast is produced to help black women in leadership become more centered by silencing their inner critic and creating strategies to become more confident and innovative. I'm your host, ICF Certified Executive Leadership Coach, Joya Jefferson-Nuri. I am so glad you're joining us for this episode. We have a very special guest. She is one of my clients who have come through the inner critic journey, and we have landed in a space that I think she should share the whole story. Mm. We're not going to use her real name. We're going to call her Bridget. And Bridget started working with me about nine months ago. We met earlier, maybe a year or two earlier, but she came on formally about nine months ago. And right now we're in May, 2023. And when she started, she was a brand new first time CEO. And the journey with her has been filled with tears and filled with victories. And I want her to share her story with the inner critic. So Bridget, Welcome to Unshackled Leadership, a Lantern for Black Women. Joya, thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm really excited to share this journey with the listeners, especially because as I know you, we're going to go there and, and get real. But I think that realness, especially from what I will share, will help others as it continues to help me. So I'm thankful for you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you much. So let's start at the beginning. Had you ever heard of the inner critic before you and I started working together? No, no, not at all. Not thinking Mm -hmm. of that, especially that terminology. So no. Yeah. So what was going on in your head? A lot of- How were you processing your life? Yeah, a lot of self-talk that I thought was me and really Mm -hmm. a doubtful way. So that fueled me, actually. So using that self-doubt, using that kind of negative talk and thinking that that was part of my own psyche and a fueling system in some aspect. So not knowing that it was a different thing, I thought it was me. And that was just how I talked to myself to kind of get going or motivate or chastise in some way. Okay, so you had a combination of the inner critic and all of her criticism of you, mm-hmm. motivating you to do better, but also feeling ch- scolded by her? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, scolded by her in that kind of uh, grooming sense, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a young child in the sense of what are you doing? Don't do that. Who do you think you are? Too bold. Um, so don't get in trouble. And uh, that yeah. voice kind of driving and fueling that fear-based action. We went through, as I do with all of my clients, identifying when that inner critic shows up. Mm -hmm. And it always shows up, or it generally shows up between the ages of 8 and 15. Something happens. It's something, maybe something very innocent, some adult or a group of other children do, that shapes your inner critic. And can you share with the audience where yours showed up the first time? Yeah, mine showed up in the fourth grade. And so that year in the fourth grade is when I went to live with my grandmother. And having that kind of cultural reality shock of being a nine-year-old 
and living with my grandmother and being groomed and reared. And so the voice in some aspect is that voice. Don't do this, kind of don't be too bold. Who do you think you are? I think I heard that a lot, especially because I'm very inquisitive and talkative and knowing my own self. And that was really tampered down. And in some aspect, I think because she was raised during the depression, it was a way to keep me safe so that I wasn't too bold in a space that brought maybe too much attention. But the way I internalized that was that it was wrong. It's so interesting how all humans have a natural inner critic and black women have a particular issue with it. Black people in general, black women specifically have a particular issue with the inner critic because a lot of the voices that did tamp us down, that became our inner critic, were protecting us from racism. They were protecting Mm -hmm. us from crimes against us because we were uppity, Mm -hmm. which was the word at the Mm -hmm. time. And so you have this special layer. So your grandmother probably did not intend for that phrase, who do you think you are, to become a shattering voice in your life. She was just trying to save your life. Yeah, yeah. And as a strong matriarch of our family who survived all of those things that you listed, that's exactly what the intent was. But that internalized Mm -hmm. piece and society, because I am a Black Mm -hmm. woman, continue to keep that um, energy alive and the Mm -hmm. voices in my head. Right. So you had a mantra of, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are? How did that impact? You got it at fourth grade. How did it impact you from there up through bumping up against college? I think in some aspect, it plays out in every thread of my life. Whereas in school, I was really smart and a math girl, a math lead, uh, and really into the sciences. But I also played the class clown so that I could be accepted and uh, by my peers in a way that I could be popular. So did I not go for achievement? I went for achievement, but I tampered it down. And I kind of- You just didn't show it. I didn't show it. It was too bold, especially to peers that maybe weren't in the same ilk, didn't have the same um, background living overseas or having different opportunities. So I didn't want to be otherized. I just kind Mm -hmm. of achieved in quiet. Do you think that was particularly an issue because your peers were black that you didn't want to look like the smart girl in the class? Uh, No, not all the time. Not all the time because Mm -hmm. I grew up in the military and that was a very integrated environment, especially when I was overseas Mm -hmm. and in Germany, it was more popular kids. Right. And I, the cool kids were not the smart ones. So there were some times in my own community and in my own family that though I was always told to do good, get good grades, be a good citizen, kind of go to church, do those things. Also, you know, don't be too braggadocious. Don't be too bold. Don't be too kind of full of yourself. So that don't be too good. Don't be too good. Um, and what does it make others feel like? So I definitely had that instilled in me from my community. How do others feel when you are too bold? Yeah, that's complicated for Black people. Mm -hmm. That's complicated because a lot of times we reach this false upper limit, Mm -hmm. this area 
this gray area that says, don't be much better than my community. Don't embarrass my cousins. Don't do this. So we tap ourselves down. You ignored that false upper limit, but it's clear that it was there where I can't be, but so much. I have a friend who doesn't want to hit the lottery Mm. because she recognizes she'd have to give it away to her family. Mm. And so we had to coach through that. Okay. It would have to coach through that process of I'd have to, I'm obligated to give the whole thing away. And we're going to get back to family later in this, in this conversation. So your inner critic in your work, going back to when we started, when you were a brand new CEO mm-hmm. and what did that, before you and I met, before we started the conversations about the inner critic, what was the inner critic doing to you or what were her, what was she saying as you stepped into this role? The same things in a different uh, language. Who do you think you are? So I've been in my career industry for over almost 25 years. And I've been consistently performing, reaching for new kind of challenges and new heights. So in some aspect, this step was a natural progression. But once I got here, it was like, oh, dang who do you think you are? You're exposed and they're going to find out that you're raggedy, right? They're going to find out that you kind of loaf on the weekends. They're going to find out that you're a math girl, but you're also a party girl, right? Like they're going to find out all of these things about you. And so you have to tamp down. You need to hide and contract. And it was a very weird feeling because it's such a visible position that I instantly felt exposed And the inner critic voice was like, see, I told you, (laughs) you went too far. What are you doing? And that energy was keeping me very rigid. Okay. So you were not comfortable in your skin. No, not at all. Not at all. Skin. What is skin? I don't even know what that is. At that point, I just felt all of these wiry synapses going off and trying to control them. Okay. What you, as you know, because we worked together, I'll tell the audience what you were going through was this piece with the inner critic where when you take the next step up, she freaks out mm-hmm. because she's an, she's a wounded child. She's you in the fourth grade. You know, she's me at age 10. She's everybody in here at some age. And she just sort of freaks out and haywires, as you said, the synapses firing and it felt crazy. Um, And that's what she does because she's so wounded. She's afraid that you're going to take a step that's going to make her homeless. Mm. That's going to make her, like you said, exposed. And you can't do that. She's going to stop you. That's the mechanism in our psyche. And that's the philosophy I understand it to be. And for me and and all the work I've done over the past years, whenever you take a big, bold step, she doesn't want to hear about it. Let's just say you get, you're like, you got this job offer and you were really happy, but before you could even enjoy it, she said, oh no, we're exposed. And then, as you said in the beginning, Bridget, you thought all these thoughts were just you. Yeah. And your internal conversation, not realizing it's just a part of your psyche that you didn't realize was doing all the talking. Yeah, yeah. And acting. So not just talking, but acting too. And thinking that those actions were actually the true self during that Mm -hmm. action. And so not understanding that and doing all of this action and trying to erase 
I couldn't focus on the task at hand because I didn't know that I needed to focus it, right? Like I thought mm -hmm. and figure that out. So when I was coming, even in the beginning to coaching, it was give me some order to this chaos, right? Like it wasn't, I don't know this language of inner critic and fourth grader. I'm thinking, give me order to this madness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, please, Lord. I need some order to this madness because I can't figure out why I'm mad, right. why I've lost my mind, right. okay? Right. Why I can't find peace. So you and I were introduced mm -hmm. by mutual friends mm -hmm. and uh, we started to work together. When I first brought up the inner critic stuff, tell me and tell the audience, what was your reaction to that knowledge? Well, first, what does that got to do with this? Right? Like I, that was my, first, that was your first reaction. First reaction is like, right? What does that have to do with this? Right? Like the fourth grade, what does that have to do with this? But then when I sat in it and really started to, I'm a deep listener. I like to learn. And mm -hmm. so I'm reflective and introspective as a person. So early on, and I think session two, we really got into the inner critic talk, who she was, what, where did she come from? And it was, aha. That was the first, I think, real feeling of it, that aha, that isn't my true self talking. That's experiences, what I've been told, what I've been taught, what I mixed into this brew, but also the acceptance and understanding of this upper limit, because that also was something that I wasn't familiar with mm -hmm. and breaking through that. And then I think the other part was the identity as a black woman and in the roles of leadership that I am, how the cultural pieces are also pieces of that. So all of that into this inner critic that wasn't just talk, but also fueled kind of hectic, crazy, anti-achievement action, right? Like just right. things that I was doing, like cookies, which I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, we'll get know, to cookies. that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I recall... I recall in the beginning, in our first weeks together, you sort of resisting the the pieces I was telling you about your body mm -hmm. and that you feel her. I mean, maybe that was my impression that you resisted that because when you, when you know the inner critic is talking, you don't feel empowered. Mm -hmm. You are ex feeling ex more exposed than empowered. And you always know she's talking. And so tell me what you felt in your body when she was talking. Um, always very shameful in that body response, shoulders, slumping, those things, or hyperactive. And so one of the first early lessons that we talked about was how the inner critic fuels the sense of hurried. And mm -hmm. that I needed to feel, I was feeling this need of hurried all the time and that I was drowning in this quicksand and this kind of peace. And even in my expression right now, talking about it, that fast pace of things, I thought yeah. that that was flow in some aspect, right? Like that, because it's been so constant as a thread that I thought I needed to figure out how to just manage it at this higher, whatever XX level. Yeah. 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 So and that it, you said the culture too. We we are born to a culture that says the eighty hour week, the more you work, the faster you work at it, the faster you work walk down the hallway, the faster you walk on the street is what 
or like successful people do. And even the cultural people in it, white men who created that mm. paradigm, it's killing them. <laughs> it's killing them. So why do we keep wanting to re replicate that? So you have the cultural pressure mm -hmm. of that's what performance looks like. Mm -hmm. As black women, it's imperative for us to redefine that mm -hmm. and still be the leaders in our industries. But you add that, as you were saying, to your inner critic who says, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you got to work hard, you get good, good enough, you'll never make it, they're going to fire you, they're going to find <laughs> out about you. You add that to that, and then now you're on your way to your heart attack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. I think that so, just one thing that you just said there too in that physical piece we talked about, and it's interesting because just in hearing you say it, I thought my big belly, the Buddha belly. And mm -hmm. that concept that was a mind-blowing aha in one of our sessions around how the Buddhists take in everything from the people around them. And as a Black woman, right, and as this leader and as this inner critic fueling this, having this big kind of belly of all of yeah. this stuff kind of taking in. And I think of that even to this day right now when I'm having one of those weeks, how much of the Buddha belly am I carrying and, and what am I mm -hmm. feeling in there? Mm -hmm. And for the audience who doesn't know that reference in Hinduism, where you have a Buddha, if you've ever seen, or, or no, in Buddhism, mm -hmm. in Buddha Hinduism, in Buddhism, you have seen Buddha always has a big belly. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the spiritual philosophy is that Buddha takes on everybody's karma. And so I think that leads us to our role with our families. Mm and our loved ones. And we talked about this and I talk about this to all my clients and women in general, black women in particular, feel a certain need to take care of everybody around us. <laughs> it could be Pookie. It could be your, you know, it's some cousins, niece, three generations away from you, but you feel like you need to step in and do that. And there's the question is always why mm. there's a lot of pressure on us because we became successful. Mm -hmm. And so rescuing everybody else, you know, what are they, you know, what do I have to rescue them? So can you tell, tell the audience about your relationship with family and, and in all of that, we talked about mm -hmm. it, like, where are you mm -hmm. before we got started? Uh, needing to run around and try to save everybody because feeling guilty, I think in some aspect for the sense of achievement or the mm -hmm. lessening of the life struggles uh, because of my choices. And mm -hmm. so feeling like I needed to both give them the blueprint, whatever that is, right? This is how you do it, this is the way, but then also feeling guilty. If I can't mm -hmm. be there for every instant, save every challenge or help them overcome in some way, then I fail as a family member, I failed as a daughter, I failed as a person. And so mm -hmm. carrying the responsibility of having to save everyone. And so I think the work with the inner critic was really interesting because that voice really isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> and that expectation, and I think one of, again, so many ahas in the, the conversations and in the coaching around how I was trying to be maybe more than God and that conversation of how God doesn't show up to fix someone. 
that really resonated with me because when I stepped back to see what I was trying to do, even in the language of trying to empower them, right? Like, well, who are you to do that? And also maybe I hadn't considered, I didn't consider until the coaching, the conversation that they are doing their blessing that God blessed them to do in this path and I'm doing mine Mm -hmm. and that my work is to be the light. That I didn't even think that, right? Like I thought I needed to be actively doing something. And so this also concept that you and I talked about, it's so funny because I mentioned it to my sister just a couple of weeks ago about how Black women insert themselves to start fixing it before anybody even asks for it. I I also was (laughs) that part, right? Like I I was like, okay, so look, (laughs) let me tell you what Joy and I talked about because that, that was like mind blowing. And when I step back to look at all of the Black women my friends, my close colleagues that introduced me to you that are CEOs, my sisters, my mama, everybody, all of us are preemptive helping. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Didn't nobody even ask us. We already order in the way. So I think letting some of that go and understanding that the inner critic is feeling that, fueling that desire to Mm -hmm. do that was aha. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, thank you for sharing that. And, and, um, I remember you making that gesture to one. Yeah, yeah, mind blown. You know, it's like, wow, I never thought of that. Um, But it's also guilt Mm. that you achieved and people around you have not. But it's also arrogance. Mm -hmm. Mm. Arrogance. Like, who are you to fix their lives? Mm -hmm. Who are you to do that? You're barely fixing your life. And so (laughs) who are you to step in? You know? Like all of us, like, oh, yes, they have a problem. How much money do they think they need? How much, you know, should I pay for their therapy? You know, it's like, no, no. You know, should I go over their house and cook three times a week? Uh, Nobody asked you to do that. I didn't need that. You know, right, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so that frees you up for your own space in growth. Okay. Now, as you get into understanding when your inner critic is talking and you have tools, you know, I'm, I've, I've give each client, obviously the understanding in their body, when the inner critic is talking, when you don't feel empowered, mm-hmm. when you feel anxious and doubtful, when you think you can't do it, it's too big for you. That is your inner critic. And she's in the fourth grade. So you need not listen to her. Okay. <laughs> you need to make her comfortable saying, you know, what I'm doing now is not going to harm you, or you pull out a baseball bat Mm. and you have to beat her down. Mm -hmm. But either way, you have to get her to go sit over there and color because she's in the fourth grade. (laughs) How has that realization helped you as a new CEO? Where are you? How has it helped? It's helped tremendously. um, And especially the tools piece. So some of the things that we worked on in coaching the mantras, and even in the beginning, starting with and ending with, I am enough. So mm-hmm. I, I think that as I really, at first, I, and you know this, at first I said it very on the surface. I'm enough. Okay, yeah. Okay, I said it. Okay, I got it, Joya. <laughs> I'm enough. Uh, yeah. But then in, as I went to work, I still was shackled in some aspects with the inner critic. I walked into the door like, what do you think you are, girl? You ain't no CEO. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing in here? And slowly, I just started to say, go sit down. 
one session mm-hmm. you said that just I said this is a coach for me she didn't mush her in the face so visually you know <laughs> in my mind I was like mush her right in the face like okay I got this and the other part that we talked about and I use often as I chunked it and I chunk it down it's the mountain I don't have to climb the whole mountain today I just really need to look at what is the first step and I got this so that slowing it down the meditation has been clutch i mean because even if i don't always identify it's the inner critic at first that's happening taking some quiet breaths and like oh okay ain't no nobody's even thinking about that but you (laughs) (laughs) nobody even thought Mm -hmm. about that that's when so that's when i really started to understand that, okay, that's a, an energy that I can control. And so the, if anything, I still have days that it comes, but I know that the gap between letting it go out of control and control is shorter and it's shorter and shorter each time. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I'll tell the audience, the meditations I send are always guided meditations Mm -hmm. and I send it to clients through an app called Insight Timer, and it's a free app, 50,000 different meditations, but I tend to lean toward those led by Black women, even though there are some white people on it have done doing some powerful thing. And this is nothing against the white Mm-mm. people who are on it. Nothing against, but since my clientele are all Black or people of color, I do have two clients who are from India, and people of color, I tend to lean toward the people of color in the meditations because sometimes the languaging is more than we can, that we can relate to. And these guided meditations shore up who you are. There's one we do with Zawadi and Yango who is totally I am. Mm -hmm. And so you are great. You are this, you are that. And what people don't understand is that you became worthy when the sperm hit the egg. And this is not some commentator, commentation on abortion or not abortion, but this is just a theory of psyche that you didn't have to earn it. Mm-hmm. It was yours from the beginning. We just walked into a culture that says, well, if you don't live here, you don't have a car and you don't go to school here and you don't have this position and you don't wear that designer, you're not worthy. All of that is BS. Mm-hmm. And that's what the inner critic for everybody keeps trying to tell you. You have to earn your worthiness. You do not. You can, you can build on your worthiness. You could decide this makes, I like fun in this playground, you know, and as you do as a CEO. So the meditations help center you. And I, I, I find with all of my clients and with me, it quiets the, the inner critic. Mm-hmm. It quiets her down. Mm-hmm. And it's guided so that she don't just have soft music, a soundtrack to your inner critic. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I just part. do, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You don't want a soundtrack yeah. to your crazy ramblings in your head. The guided allows you to latch onto those words right. and and come down to something quiet. Yeah, it's an interesting the, piece. I will say just for that that Mm -hmm. every time and especially that meditation that i've been listening to for nine months i think or so since you introduced me each time i hear something different and i listen to it right now at least once or twice a week Mm -hmm. it's a different thing but that i am part 
-hmm. And that I think is just the most powerful. The other part of that mantra that you and I talked about a lot, I do enough and I have enough because those other pieces also are where it flares up. I'm not doing enough. I didn't do this for this person. I didn't save them from this catastrophe. I didn't pay for whatever this was. I didn't buy or have or eat whatever, you know, the gluttonous part that you want. That is the inner critic. So I am enough, I do enough, and I have enough. That mantra has really changed even me as a CEO. Good, good, good. We talked, we mentioned earlier uh, cookies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk. Tell the audience what we're talking about when we say what we're talking. Oh, actually, we're talking about cookies. We're already talking. We're talking about. We're talking about. And okay, talk about cookies. Yes, cookies and (laughs) chips and snacks. I'm a foodie, and not just a foodie of a lover of food. I use food to soothe. It started in some aspects when the inner critic voice started, where food was a, a safe place of refuge. And so when I'm stressed, especially when I'm feeling doubtful, it's an easy go-to. And it's an easy go-to not for one thing or another. It's a very gluttonous overindulgence, over, to the point where the critic, what you and I talked about is that the inner critic is now that I've identified the voice, has moved on to use something else, but the same action to make me feel bad or that I've, you know, stay in in a place. So I'm using it as a way to self-soothe, but really it continues to make me feel bad. And this is a physical feel bad. Stomach is very mm-hmm. protruding or, you know, my energy is very muted. But it was before I understood it was just a, a reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the cookies like you said, were you, you think it's comfort food, <laughs> yet you get no comfort Man. after you finished it. There is no comfort, you know. Um, your comfort food may be to go get a good book, get the meditation, and late at night, go to bed. Go get some sleep. <laughs> get some sleep. <laughs> get some sleep. And you're probably feeling you need the comfort because you're exhausted. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. exhausted. Huh. <laughs> One of the other things that we talked about in our sessions, I talk about all the time with clients is what I call sacred rest. Mm. Mm. And sacred rest is this, as busy women, as achieving women, as black women, we tend to believe that if we stop and watch Netflix for an afternoon and drink a glass of wine, that we are stealing that away from productivity. We're stealing that away from our families. We don't deserve it. There is guilt (laughs) that comes with having a day where you lay on the floor on your back and look at the ceiling. Mm. Okay. Mm. And I introduced to you sacred rest. Mm. And why rest is sacred? Can you tell the audience your reaction to that phrase? That, I mean, first, wow. And that piece of what you were saying as Black women, I I told you I felt raggedy, right? Like I was like, oh, I can't do this. I'm supposed to be doing it every minute. But the need for sacred rest and that aha, again, mind blown kind of thing. And, you know, in our weeklies, I would like 
turn around in my chair when you say something that was like blew my mind like <laughs> wait what oh lord but i think that that piece around rest as needed but also as sacred sacred means something to me as a spiritual person and so those words were mm -hmm. deliberate but also we talked and explored all of the replenishing that is rest and that i'd never heard in that wave, right? I understood go to bed at a bedtime. And since I never did that, I didn't understand all of the things of maybe even little things like taking a time to desensitize was actually restful. The meditation and listening to some of the things and being in a sacred quiet space was restful. Taking a bath in the middle of the afternoon or putting my feet up for 20 minutes was rest and that I needed it in order to be this leader. I needed it in order to give this and shine this bright light. That's why it was sacred. And that I should say it out loud. It's not a hidden thing. That's the other part. I would be like, oh, I don't want anybody to know on the weekends, I just lay here and binge watch sci-fi content, right? But instead it is sacred and I should say it out loud and be proud that I am refueling myself. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I do that all day Sunday, ritual bath, mm -hmm. meditation, aromatherapy, good, healthy food, not cookies, mm -hmm. <laughs> good, healthy food. <laughs> and my friends know they'll call and they said, um, are you being a refuge today? And I'm like, yep, <laughs> I'm it today. <laughs> I'm not going to have, I'm not having drinks with you. I'm not going to brunch. I'm not doing any of that. I don't turn on my computer mm -hmm. because the work I do, I take in a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. I take in a lot of energy from clients and I just need to desensitize. And as you were saying, it's mandatory to my survival mm -hmm. and to every single person. And once again, the culture kept telling us, mm -hmm. you can't rest. <laughs> you should work six days a week. Six and a half days a week, you have to go to work and you have to be at work because then you will not be considered successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's killing the people who made up the rules. Okay. Yeah. 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 As we, as we wind down here, what would be the message you would send to people listening? I think it, two messages two major themes in the coaching in the nine months that we've been together have emerged for me that first in our early kind of work we talked about how i would label myself as beautifully flawed mm -hmm. and you and i and as a person you as a master of language and communication but then also analyzing and understanding word energy that wasn't something that i was aware of before we started working together, what word energy was doing. And through our mm -hmm. session, we came up and, and as I worked through, it really was, I am unique, beautifully. Not beautifully mm -hmm. unique like another. So that was the one thread that kind of throughout our work together. The other was one of the kind of last homework assignments that I got in the latter parts of our sessions together that I kind of gave you the side eye look like, mm -hmm, okay. And it was <laughs> to look at myself in the mirror every time I saw myself and say, I love you, Bridget. I love you. 
And at first I was like, I ain't doing that. And so I would just avoid looking in the mirror, like wash my hands real quick and roll out. But then <laughs> I was like, I got to look at Joya next week and say I did it. So the first few times it felt so uncomfortable. But I'm happy to say now that when I do look at myself deeply and I say, I love you, it resounds and it instantly uh, brings me back into this present moment. Mm -hmm. I am unique beautifully and I love me and I'm here to be the light and, and shine that light. And if that inspires, oh well, if it don't, oh well, because that's, that's not my job. My job is to just keep moving my part forward. And so those are the things. I am unique beautifully and I love me, period. I love you. Bridget, I thank you so very much for being a part of this program today. Thank you so very much for sharing that. I really hope that the audience hears that mm -hmm. and understands the importance of coaching past your inner critic mm -hmm. to get really, you have all these dreams and ambition and she's standing in the background going, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, they ain't happening. Cause remember when you were 15, you know, Johnny never liked you. You know, you ain't pretty enough of that. You ain't smart enough of that. She's standing there and you start to believe that that's the truth. Like you said, you thought it was you talking mm -hmm. as opposed to something in your psyche that is still so wounded. She doesn't even know mm -hmm. she has a problem. Okay. So I thank you so very much for being here and being so candid and so honest with us. I, you know, can't say it enough. Sure. Thank you. Joya, thank you so much. And I just want to thank you for doing this because I know that podcast has an opportunity to at least bring awareness to mm -hmm. that the voice isn't you. So for the listeners, the voice isn't you. That's not the truth. That's not the gospel. It is another entity. And the in inner critic is, at least if this podcast in the series gives an aha to someone. It is that to just be curious about there may be something else that can go on. And then there are things that can help. So Joy, thank you so much for this work. Thank you for the work that, that you've done with me. Uh, and when I come back for my maintenance over the summer, I'm looking forward to uh, the reinforcement of the tools because they're not something that is burdensome they're so integrated that it becomes the fabric so thank you thank you so much for sharing that all right bridget all right my most one of my most precious clients all right that's the end of this program we thank you all for being here peace and blessings Thank you for joining me here for this episode of Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. I hope you learned something here that will empower you. Now, if you want to reach me for individual coaching, you can find me on LinkedIn or at my website in the public eye communications. And I invite you to subscribe to us. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or on YouTube. And please leave a comment. I would love to hear from you. I'm Joya Jefferson Nuri. I'm an ICF certified executive leadership coach. Thanks for joining me.